the shingles have obvious hail damage, but the adjuster is saying it's blisters or mechanical damage. And better yet, he's telling you that there needs to be a bruise or a fracture in the shingle for it to count. If you're tired of hearing this and want to be able to concretely overcome the claim game, then this is the podcast for you. In this series, we're going to do away with all the myths and reveal the truth behind hail and wind damage claims. My name is Chad Conley, and I'm a state-licensed public adjuster. Over the last 12 years, I've been responsible for more than $160 million in approved storm damage claims. And now, I'm bringing my expertise to you. Let's get it bought. Welcome back, everybody. It's episode three of Get It Bought, the podcast where we work to try to help you get your claims approved, because if they're not buying, you're not flying. Today, I want to cover a couple of those pesky reasons for denial that we run into so often, and they kind of tend to be right there tucked into the adjuster's tool belt, so to speak, and we hear them frequently. We're going to talk about why we hear them so frequently. There's a very specific reason why. These two items are blistering and or mechanical damage. And those of us that have been out there with the insurance adjusters, we know they like to go to this one. And there's, again, specific reason why. There's a couple of reasons, actually. One's policy related and the other is it's difficult to disprove. Talking about something that's very subjective. Now, if we were to get the shingle down and do some type of testing on it or something, we might be able to scientifically show one party was right or wrong or vice versa. But the normal course of an adjuster's meeting, it's a he said, he said, or he said, she said. Who's really going to check to see whether the insurance adjuster and or the roofer is telling the truth or knows what they're talking about? When it gets to the insured, the homeowner or business owner who holds a policy, there's always this air of kind of doubt and confusion. Well, a roofing contractor says that's not a blister, but my adjuster seemed really certain that it was. And they're not really sure which way to turn. What I'm going to share with you today is going to cap that off, so to speak. There will definitely be some black and white by the time we get through this podcast. So why do they go to these? The reason why is because these items are specifically listed in the policy as exclusions. Now, remember, homeowners insurance policies and business policies in the PNC side for the structures are typically what we call all peril policies, meaning that the insurance policies cover everything unless it's specifically excluded. And that's different from a name peril policy because a name peril policy covers what's named. So flood insurance, this is not hard. It covers floods. That's it. Earthquake insurance covers earthquakes. That's it. Once you understand an all-apparel policy, you understand that, hey, really anything in the world I can dream of is covered unless it's excluded. So blisters, for example, falls into the bucket of manufacturer's defect. And that's how it's actually written in the policy. It doesn't specifically say blisters, but it does say manufacturer's defects are excluded. It also says that mechanical damage is excluded. So the damage caused from other activities on the roof, damage caused from the actual installation of the roof. That is not the responsibility of the insurance carrier. That's what they say in the policy. So when the insurance adjuster comes out and you point out what you consider to be as the expert and what you know to be hell damage, they say, oh, it's mechanical or it's a blister because they know those are specifically excluded. Now, why are you harping on this exclusion? When you understand how the policy works, you understand that the insured has a duty to prove a loss. And when you understand the specific exclusions, you also understand that there's a pretty narrow lane for the insurance company that they have to operate in. Once you prove that the roof is damaged under an all-peril policy, They can't just make any kind of claim up that they want to about what 
or, or make any reason up, I should say, not to confuse words, make any reason up that they want to not pay it. For example, if an insurance adjuster is with you and you point out and say, look, look at this hell impact. And they go, well, I don't know what it is, but it's not hell. It's not hell is not an exclusion. However, if they call it a blister, they've covered their bases. If they call it mechanical damage, they've covered their bases. We can argue all day long about why it's not mechanical, why it's not a blister, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But the point is they go to those things because they are listed in the policy as exclusions. Be no different if they try to call that hell damage a flood or an earthquake. Same thing. Here's the great news about this, though. The great news is, is that they use it frequently. It's a repeating pattern, kind of like a carbon copy, just over and over and over again. So if we can figure out how to overcome it once, then we've defeated it for the next thousand times. So the way these insurance adjusters and the insurance companies operate is actually very, very predictable. So unfortunately, we don't always get to the solution, the one that works. And we're about to jump right into that right after we wrap up this message from our sponsor. If you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably actively working roofing-related insurance claims. If that's true and you're not supplementing all of your insurance work, then you're missing out big time. The simple fact is the insurance company's estimate is just that, an estimate. Get paid for all the work you're doing. Get ClaimRight. ClaimRight is the industry's first ever subscription-based insurance supplement service. Yes, subscription-based. With your monthly subscription, ClaimRight will supplement up to 50 of your insurance re-roof jobs, including the exactimates, supporting documentation, and working out the pricing with your adjusters. Now, you've heard about our services, but what you probably didn't know is that ClaimRight has the GainRight guarantee. We guarantee that you'll make back more than what you spent on your subscription within the first 30 days or we'll give you your money back. That's right, an insurance supplement service that's subscription-based with a money-back guarantee. It's literally zero risk. Guaranteed profit or your money back. Visit ClaimRight.com and sign up today with the GainRight guarantee. That's ClaimRight.com claim r-i-t-e dot com all right here we are getting right back at it now let's get down to brass tacks and talk about what do we do what do we do with blisters and mechanical damage well let's start with blister if the insurance adjuster is calling it a blister he's essentially calling this a manufacturer's defect If you're standing on a roof that is still under some period of the manufacturer's material warranty, which is a very good chance that you are, then the solution's simple. The solution is to file a claim with the manufacturer, have them determine their lab or whatever, if what the adjuster is calling blistering is in fact blistering. Now, you might be thinking... Chad, I I work a lot of claims. I don't want to get into having to take shingles off and send them into the factory, and that's a lot of work. It would be if you had to actually do all of it. The first step is not to do any of that at all. The first step is to have the conversation with the insurance adjuster. But I highly recommend you do not do this with the insurance adjuster on the roof. You're going to want to do it with the insured within hearing distance. You're going to want to do it in front of them. You say, Mr. or Mrs. Homeowner or business owner or whatever, we met up here on the roof with your insurance adjuster. We're not in agreement on the damage. You guys have all heard this story before, right? 
here's where it gets different. You look at the adjuster and you say, listen, you're, you're saying that this is blistering. And he'll affirm, yep, that's just blistering. That's what it is. Okay. So I just have a quick question for you. If it's blistering, then what we've got is a situation of a manufacturer's defect, which would mean that we need to file a manufacturer's claim to have them evaluate that defect, which is great news for Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner over here because they should be covered either way. But my question to you is this. If we send these shingles off and they come back and report that this is in fact not blistering, what are you prepared to do about it? And then once you ask them that question, wait for the response. First person that talks loses. Put it on their plate and wait for them to respond. Don't do it apart from the insured being there. You could do it by email with the insured copied if that's what you needed to do. I know things are a little different right now. We're not doing a lot of face-to-face meetings. The point is the insured needs to be a part of that conversation. I find that insurance adjusters speak a little more professionally speak to the policy and provide better customer service if the insured is a part of the conversation. I feel like way too much debate happens on the roof away from the actual policy holder. So very much, I can't stress enough, recommend that you do that. If they respond with, well, then I'm not going to do anything about it. It's telling, isn't it? So you said that it was a blister. The manufacturer says that it isn't, that you're wrong. Maybe you think you know more than the manufacturer and you're just going to stick by that. If that's what the response is, you need to get that to your state insurance commissioner as quick and fast as you can. And you shouldn't have any problem doing that if the insured was standing there to hear it. Now, they're not willing to do that. The insured, if they just want to take it on the chin, just walk, just step it out. There's no point in being there. I'd be surprised though. Most folks that experience that firsthand, they're ready to roll. However, I have seen many times insurance adjusters say, well, if you've got something in writing that says it's not a bluster, then I'll buy the roof. I've seen it. Then you have to ask yourself now, is it worth filing the warranty claim to get the roof approved? Yes or no? It's up to you. That's your choice. I'm pulling some shingles and filing a claim if it's me and helping the insured do it. Now, there's one little nuance that I missed here, and this is important. When you send the sample shingles to the manufacturer, make sure that you use some chalk to identify the specific spot that you're referencing. The reason for this is that hail damage and blistering can coexist. Now, I know that's mind-blowing for entrance adjusters out there. If any of you guys are hearing this, never seen an entrance adjuster agree with this one. But they can coexist. If you can have a roof that has some blistering on it that actually experiences hell impacts, and you can see the hell impacts amongst the blisters. If that's the case, then sending these shingles in and just simply asking the question, are these blistered? Well, it's going to produce a result that says, yeah, they're blistered. And the insured may actually get a check from the manufacturer, but it's going to be prorated right? It's not going to be the full amount, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It would be better to say, hey, there's some areas of blistering that we see on here, but the spots that are in the square or, you know, chalked areas or the circular chalked areas or however you do it, the spot that's that's in there, is that a blister? Be specific and give them plenty of examples too. You know, one or two won't work. Many of them will require five shingles. They don't tell you which five. Pull five of the ones that you and the adjuster evaluated. When the adjuster leaves, just jump back up on the roof, photograph the one so you can document which ones they are. Maybe you can pull them while you're there. Maybe that's not congruent with your workflow. Get repair crew out later to pull them or whatever. As long as you've got documented which ones and which hell hits you guys were looking at, you can always come back to them. That's not a problem. And whatever you do, don't send the warranty form in to the manufacturer asking them to comment on whether they think it's hell damage or not. The answer is always going to be no. They're not going to do that. They will not step into that water. That's not the purpose of this exercise. What they can do is rule out the exclusion that the insurance carriers provided, which is the manufacturer's defect. They will tell you whether there's a defect or not on their shingle. They have to. It's a warranty. You filed a claim. I've seen this work many times, folks. It works really, really well. And I promise you, they're not prepared for you to ask them that question. They've never even given that a thought. And most roofing contractors don't know to ask that question. Now, mechanical damage. 
What do we do with mechanical damage? This one's much simpler than it sounds like it would be. If what you're pointing at, they're calling mechanical damage, then what we have to do is we have to show them frequency and distribution. It's the reason why we do test squares, right? So if you're getting on the roof and you're doing one test square or two, because quote unquote, that's what the insurance company requires, you're going to have to modify this. They start going to mechanical damage, you're going to have to start marking up more test squares. And I recommend doing them in obscure places. Some of you guys use this thing called a goat. You can get one of those out if you don't already have it. And go down to a part of the roof where it's very low traffic. Don't want to be upstream, so to speak, from a satellite dish or a chimney or near a valley. Get out there where there's nothing downslope from it that anyone would need to access. There'd be no reason for people to be up there walking around. Mark a test square off there. And if you're finding similar things, then have the insurance adjuster get over there and have them call that mechanical damage as well. After a while, the insurance adjuster calling the mechanical damage mechanical damage will start to lose steam because there's no way that the frequency and distribution could equal random, frequent, and all over the entire roof and it be mechanical damage. Those things don't add up. Mechanical damage is typically isolated and near high traffic areas. Now, if you prove this, if you get to the point where you say, hey, listen, we've we've got like four test squares on this roof, Mr. Adjuster. The frequency and distribution does not add up. Are you telling me that we should expect to see mechanical damage all over everywhere? Then we got to bring something else into question. What caused this if it really is mechanical? Let's just play devil's advocate for a second and say, okay, Mr. Adjuster, I'm going to go along with you for just a minute and say maybe this is mechanical damage. But now I've got to start questioning intent. What does that mean? The only difference between mechanical damage and vandalism is intent. If a previous roofer got on that roof and took a hammer and intentionally beat the crap out of it because he thought he was going to do that to get it approved on on a hell claim, for example, then that's vandalism. And with an open peril policy, that's covered. Flat out, make no bones about it. If that same roofer was there a week previous and was performing a repair and dropped some tools on the roof, didn't mean to do it, then that's not vandalism. That's just mechanical damage. But remember, frequency and distribution. If if that were the case, it wouldn't be all over the entire roof. So now we have to start questioning, maybe this isn't a hell claim, Mr. Adjuster. Maybe we're dealing with a case of vandalism. It sounds like that's what we've got here. But you've got to put them in a situation where they knew that they were going to be in a courtroom. They wouldn't stand a chance. An attorney would just eat their lunch. That's just about the point you got to get them to sometimes to get them to pay the loss. Now, let's don't forget about this either. Wind damage. Uh, what do we think about when we think about wind damage? We think about creased shingles, missing tabs, missing shingles. Heck, sometimes a whole slope could be blown off. But what about flying debris? Saw a claim once where there's two properties next door to one another. Kind of a strange neighborhood. It was a really steep slope and the lots were sort of terraced. And the patio furniture from the house above had blown off and tumbled across the neighbor's roof. And it made the most awful gouge marks. It looked literally like tool marks all the way across the entire roof. Now, there was hell associated with this loss as well. Roof was approved on hell. But I remember the adjuster and I looking at this and having the firsthand account from the homeowners talking about the patio furniture coming across the roof thinking, wow, if we had not had that information, what would we have arrived at? Probably not wind damage, but flying debris fits into the bucket of wind damage. Now, I don't believe personally that if it's a situation where the roof is high frequency, random pattern all over the entire roof, that that would mean that it's, uh, you know, windblown debris. That, that would be really, really weird. The point is, though, is that we can't make assumptions and the insurance adjusters can't come up with reasons that aren't valid exclusions. They go to mechanical and they go to blisters. Blisters, we know how to overcome that. We just discussed it. Mechanical, we have to follow basic logic. If you follow these steps, you're never guaranteed an approval, by the way. Insurance companies are in the business of being knuckleheaded sometimes. 
times, I believe. But you should never give anything to the adjuster either. And if you take all these cards away from them, if you take everything away, they're going to be left with no choice but to either pay the loss or face repercussions from an insured who's got everything they need to really lay it on them. What you're going to do following these steps is you're going to show yourself to be so competent to the insurance adjusters that you work with on a regular basis in your local markets. They're not going to want to tangle with you. This next piece is important. I want you to hear this. You don't have to beat the household name brand multi-billion dollar insurance company. There's no reason for you to have to beat them. You're not going to. None of us are. They're huge. You only have to beat that local adjuster. You only have to beat that cat team guy. That's who you're really wrestling with. And if you stack the cards enough in your insured's favor, they're not going to want to mess with you because the other guys are going to be an easy target. They've got to tell a certain number of people no. They just have to, and they're going to. Let's say your guys wear red shirts, for example. Take this information from the podcast series here, equip them so that they, when the adjusters are talking, they say, hey, listen, we don't want to mess with the guys in the red shirts. It's just not worth it. We tell the other guys no. We just approve this group's claims because we don't want to tangle with them. That's where you want to be in the spectrum. So there you have it, folks. There's blisters and mechanical damage, probably two of the most common reasons for denial that's out there. Wow, I don't know if you guys can hear that or not. It's really thundering out there. It sounds like there's there's gonna be some money to be made before it's over with. Hope everyone has a great one. Till next time, let's get it bought. Yeah.